Hello everyone, it's Dasha Townsend of the Feast and Fashion Podcast. I'm a veteran food and beverage journalist who's worked with some of the most notable media outlets in the world. Feast and Fashion is the intersection of food and fashion, one beautiful plate or a glass at a time. With each episode, I will introduce you to fascinating, fabulous people in the culinary industry. Today, Liam Kazar joins me. The Kansas City-based musician turned all his energies to cooking professionally during the height of the pandemic in 2020. With Isfahan Kitchen, his pop-up restaurant touring the Midwest and East Coast, Kazar is introducing diners to the Armenian dishes he grew up with, including Armenian street food and classic dishes like dolmas and jinglava hot and herb-stuffed ham pie. The Chicago native also has a brand new album out called Due North. We talk about his David Bowie influences, sleepy-eyed soul, plus what he cooked when he was on the road with Wilco and other musicians. Welcome to Feast and Fashion, Liam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. This is so awesome. I am so excited to have you. First of all, I want to talk about how does a musician, especially the type of musician you are, get into the food space? We have to talk about that. Yeah, you know, there were a few things I took over from my experience as a touring musician that sort of prepped me for getting into the food space, particularly the like loading in a car and getting all of the gear together and make and showing up to the venue. And I felt like once we started doing pop-ups with Isfahan, it was like, oh, this is, I, I know this, this is my business. It's just a different, a different medium, but it's the same it's the same procedure, you know? It's like all this prep work for like uh, a tiny little narrow time where you sort of have to be banging at all cylinders. And that's very similar to like, you know, driving all day, showing up to the venue, doing sound check, and like getting all your gear ready for the narrow thing where you gotta be on point, which is the show. Maybe that's not quite how like restaurants run, but when we started doing pop-ups, that's definitely sort of like, there was a, a huge through line between those two processes. Well, where did you learn how to cook? I learned how to cook. I wanted to cook before I wanted to be a musician. When I was a kid, really? yeah, I first thought I would be a, a chef when I was a kid. I grew up like on the Food, Net, food Network. I was That was sort of like my early TV obsession. And then, I got kind of sidetracked by music and then I started touring a ton. And once I started touring, I kind of forgot how to cook. What? And I would come home and I would look into a, a fridge after not having looked into a fridge for six months or something. My mind would go blank and I would have no idea what to do with any of the ingredients. And then I had a year where I basically didn't tour at all. And I was just working as a bartender and, and I, just got back into it. More so, I was just frustrated myself that I like to know how to cook because I knew I loved doing it. I always loved doing it. And I kind of got back into it with like, uh, I got into Cuban food for a little while, making like Cubanos and stuff and black beans and rice. I was, I really love beans. I got really into like learning how to cook that well again. And then eventually I sort of like got my juices back into it. And now I can sort of make something on the fly looking into a fridge, which is sometimes how you make the best stuff. 
But now your pop-up concept is all about your heritage food. And I want to know what inspired you to say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm going to cook the food that is all about my heritage and my people. What made you decide to do that? Well, I went to Armenia in 2011 to visit my sister. She was living there at the time. And I sort of got a, like a little, a little taste of like what Armenian food could be. But then I started, um, I started a sort of by chance looking into uh, Persian food because I like lamb and they do lots of lamb dishes in Persian food. And then as soon as I started researching a little bit about that, I realized like so many of the dishes or so many of the cookbooks that I was looking at or like so many of the YouTube sort of channels of Persian food I was looking at was being cooked by Armenians or Iranian Armenians, you know. Mm -hmm. And so then I just sort of like wanted to like go a little deeper, like understanding why that was happening. I always knew that Iran and Armenia had like a border and that it's a very old part of the world. You know, people have been living there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So it's very like incestuous, those cultures, but I just didn't realize to what extent. And then I got fascinated by it. I got fascinated by it culturally, historically, but then I sort of narrowed that down into like, into a food context because that's sort of more my style anyway you know i'm always gonna i'm always curious about the food so same whenever, i whenever, i totally get it so yeah. what were some of those foods that you were just like wow i've been eating this all along and i had no idea that this was a food of my people yeah i mean well the biggest one i mean there's a there's a dish in armenia called monty that's like uh these tiny little meat-filled boats they look like tiny little sailboats mm -hmm. And uh, it's basically a dumpling, except the meat is exposed. Okay. And you would bake the dumpling first, and you drop it in a, you drop it in a soup. And then I started looking, and it's a very traditional, like Armenian sort of thing. When I was over there, I went to, like a farmhouse, and like they served us Monty at the farmhouse. You know, that was like your chicken noodle soup or something like that that you would have. And then I saw just similar thing i saw like on youtube like um someone making that exact same dish who was um, uh, iranian armenian but it was all sort of considered like persian food and so then i that was sort of the first like like light bulb of like oh there's like a big connection between persian food and armenian food and then from there i sort of made the connection to lebanese food because there's lots of armenians in lebanon hmm. and my family came to the U.S. through Lebanon. And so there's, you know, some Armenian food and Lebanese food. And that's sort of like Lebanon, uh, Iran, and Armenia are kind of like that triangle is sort of like where I would say like 90% of the menu comes from. What are some of the dishes that you learned how to make? And how did you learn how to make those dishes? Because <laughs> the way you're describing them, it sounds like they could be a little complicated and getting those ingredients I want to learn about your techniques in doing that. Yeah, well, finding ingredients was like, sourcing ingredients is still like the most job part of the whole thing. Finding good ingredients, finding good, you know, I thought if you get dried mint here, it's the same as dried mint there. Not the case. Mm -mm. I like made the mistake of buying like bulk dried mint at like the restaurant supply store. And I bought like a huge one because I was like, oh, this is so cheap, this giant thing of mint unusable because it's terrible 
it just didn't taste the same it or didn't taste the same yeah so like it's it was way too spearminty you thought oh, okay. like spearmint gum the dried mint you get is more like the dried mint you'd get from like fresh mint in the stores or something like that it's a it's a totally different species you know or not species but it's a different i don't know uh, or something like that and so sourcing ingredients was a big part of it you know i use a lot of sumac sourcing good sumac versus not good sumac and when i am cooking in kansas city i go to about eight different stores to get all the things that i need because i'm a little picky you mean as far as markets, it takes you about eight stores just to get the ingredients that you need to make your dishes. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I go to, yeah, I think it's about eight. In Chicago, it's probably a good five or six stores that I go to. And uh, so sourcing ingredients is like definitely the biggest hurdle. And I am I recently uh, did these pop-ups out on the East Coast. And that was like my biggest stress coming out. It wasn't like, can I cook this food? It was just like finding ingredients and my sister's better at Googling that stuff. And she was going to ask also, um, is it possible to get any of these ingredients online or that type of thing or no? Yeah, there's a great, it, uh, Sada, there's a great brand called Sadaf. Um, I believe that's how it's pronounced, but it's S A D A F and Sadaf.com basically has all these ingredients online that you can buy. Limu Omani, which is the dried lime, that is used oh. a lot in the food. It's put into like stews. It's got like a weird, funky, citrusy flavor. You can find, you know, good bulk musir, which is like the dried shallots that go in the yogurt dip that we make called Mastin Musir. Uh, yeah, sadaf.com is a great place to get good ingredients for this sort of food. How did you come up with the idea of, okay, so you've got the the ingredients, you've got your dishes, you've got the pop-up event, of course, mm -hmm. uh, concept. How did you decide, okay, we're going to do this at this time, and what made you decide to do the pop-up anyway? Was it because of the pandemic and you wanted to get your food out there to people? It was kind of my partner sort of kicking me in the butt to do something. Like, I um, am a musician and became very unemployed sort of in March of last year and around, you know, it was charming for a little bit. I was like doing all the laundry. I was cooking three meals a day for us, you know, and then that wore off for her about around August. And it was like, all right, it's time for you. You got to do something. Uh, <laughs> so it was a friendly little sort of kick in the arse to get off the couch and do something, which I then went sort of all into, I don't know, I kind of made a mountain out of a molehill by like starting this whole business. You know, I think she just wanted me to get a hobby or something like that. But um, I went all in and yeah, I started cooking like the dishes my mom made me when I was a kid, like dolmas and paklava and like things that I was missing and wanting to eat, but I couldn't because I was in Kansas City where I live. None of the places that made it there were good enough. They weren't as good as my mom. Right? Then I, yeah, yeah, that's always how it goes. You know, I'm very picky about store-bought paklava. Or people who say they don't like grape leaves, you know, like domas, like mm -hmm. it's because they're buying them out of a can and they don't know how delicious it can be, you know. Well, speaking of favorite dishes, I want you to talk about, am I pronouncing this right? Jingalov hots? 
Uh, Jingle of Hots. Jingle of Hots. Yeah. Uh, explain to me what, what that is and why that's one of your favorite dishes. Yeah, that's like the most quintessentially Armenian dish on the menu. It's very, very Armenian. It's essentially a, um, a sort of like stuffed flatbread or hand pie, but it's more of like a flatbread. And in Persian food and Armenian food, um, there's lots and lots of fresh herbs, like cilantro or coriander leaves, as they might call it, uh, parsley, mint, basil, a sort of different variety of basil than the one, than sweet basil that we use here more, but basil nonetheless, uh, green onions or scallions. And you just sort of like chop up all these fresh herbs and make an herb medley and add some some salt, pepper, olive oil. And the flatbread is very simple. It's not a yeasted dough or anything. It's just flour, salt, and water. And you sort of make like these, you know, like a mini pizza dough that's very flat. And then you sort of wrap it up so it's like a football. Um, you sort of like pinch the ends and you've got this sort of like flat football shape and you fry it on a skillet. You can fry it on a grill or whatever. And on the sides of the road in Armenia, you have like old Armenian grandmothers selling them like 10 for a dollar or something. I don't know how they do it because it's the most labor intensive thing that we make on the menu. And it's, it's, so it's like street food. It's total street food, okay. total Armenian street food. And like, I've never seen it anywhere else. You can find them at Armenian like groceries in like LA, but like other than that, I've only ever seen them in Armenia and they're so delicious. labor intensive. We take out all of the labor for mm -hmm. uh, Isfahan's like menu is in the appetizers and the desserts, like the mains and the rice, everything. Like no problem. And we spend hours and hours and hours rolling dolmas wow. and doing jingle pot. So all the little things that people eat when they eat our food, that's the stuff that always takes the longest. And it's the is there cheese in that little hand pie? Because uh, I mean, how do all the herbs stick together? <laughs> uh, I mean, you sort of they don't really. It's, they flatten out. They okay. flatten. It's sort of like scallion pancake or something. Ah, got it. You know? And you can either use the, keep it as a flatbread and just sort of eat it like a, you know, a pita pocket sort of thing. Or you can open up and put something inside them if you want to as well. I guess also like a pita pocket. But that sounds uh, so delicious. Yeah, they're really tasty. They're How really big are they? Wait, you said football, so you said they're the size of a football or they're miniature football? Well, we like to make little individual ones. Okay. So we, we keep them about, you know, maybe 8 to 10 inches long. But in Armenia, the ones you buy on the side of the road could be 2 feet long. What? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they do it. Well, I need to do another trip over there and like, <laughs> make friends with an Armenian grandma and show show me how she does it and how she does it and it doesn't like ruin her back or something like that. So your mother gave this recipe to you and was it passed down? This is a passed down recipe in your family? Yeah, and particularly there's a few passed down recipes on the menu, particularly also the domas and the paklava. Dolmas is like the grape leaves stuffed uh, with rice and dill. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that, you know, every time we go to my mom's family, she makes a giant thing and they go like that because <laughs> you serve them like at the beginning before the meal. It's always like the snack before the meal. And my mom's brother will just 
stand next to it. He won't leave. <laughs> like how many can you get down at a time? You gotta, you gotta, if you're lucky, if you get two or three, but she makes about, I don't know, two or 300, but people really, so really fast. Are those also labor intensive as well? Cause you were saying most of the appetizers on your menu are. Yeah, they're really labor intensive because you have to be so delicate and like, you have to like prep the leaves before you wrap them. You have to like take them out of the jar and separate them, rinse them a little bit, depending on which brand you buy. Some brands are super salty, and if you don't rinse them, yeah. I, I always like taste a one raw just to see how salty it is. Because mm -hmm. some brands, you really need to rinse the leaves before you roll them, or else it's going to be way too salty. And then other brands, you're good to go. Some brands leave the stem on, so you got to cut the stem off. That adds more time. But I like, you know, I know. I, speaking of going to a lot of stores, I will go to a different store if they don't have the right brand grape leaf because it saves me hours not having to cut stems off and not having to rinse, you know, stuff like that. Well, I know you were saying earlier that some people don't like the grape leaves sometimes because they come out of a can. Is that the issue too, why they could be have so much salt in them is because they're coming out of the can? Yeah, well, the, when they're raw, they or when they're pickled before you stuff them, they like mm -hmm. come in a jar and they're pickled basically to preserve okay. them. But when people buy the ones that are like fully made, you know, that already have the rice in them and they're just soaking in some, uh, like, okay. some weird mystery liquid <laughs> and they taste like the metal container that they're in and people oh. are like, like grape leaves. And I'm like, yeah, because you're eating metal, whatever. You don't know how long those have been in there. Exactly, exactly. So tell me about your mom's paklava. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, I think actually paklava is probably a better pronunciation, but my Midwestern family just says paklava. Ah. <laughs> paklava, it's odd because growing up, you really wouldn't see it many places everywhere. You know, obviously, every, most other places call it baklava or baklava. You know, Greeks and um, uh, Arabs, it's called like uh, baklava. But in Armenia, or to Armenians, it's called paklava with a P. And um, you wouldn't see it that many places that often. And growing up, paklava was like the ultimate treat. Like you would only get it once a year because my mom would make the filo dough herself. Mm. You would make it on the dining room table with the broomstick, uh, which is how like mm -hmm. the old grandmas make filo dough. I guess with a broomstick with a broomstick a long broomstick because it's she would make she would make like four sheets that are the size each sheet is the size of our dining room table of like you know eight by four feet or something like that mm -hmm. and then you cut that into squares and those are your layers and my it would take my mom all night she would be like sort of like in her bra down on the kitchen table, like just doing it, sweating her ass off. You guys didn't help? She didn't She didn't let you guys help her at all? There are videos of me when I'm like three years old, just like next to the table watching. <laughs> Cute. But uh, it was it was the ultimate treat because it was so difficult to do. And now you can get store-bought uh, filo dough. It's frozen and my mom will test. It's just as good as hers. Like it's, oh. it's really not worth it to, Mom approved. Mom approved dough, frozen dough, Ziad brand, no problem. Um, so now we can make, we can whip up Paklava in 20 minutes and it's no big deal, but it still feels really special because growing up, I would only get it once a year. 
Absolutely. Now, before we get to your music, because I want want to talk about, I heard your album, Due North, which is out now. And I want to talk about, and it's on Mayor Woodsist. Woodsist? Woodsist. And then there's an imprint, a smaller label within that label called Mayor. I want to talk about that in a minute because I heard it during one of your pop-up dinners. And I'm like, what is this? Is this David Bowie? So I want to talk about your voice and, you know, how your your musical influences, that type of thing. But before that, I wanted to talk about the process for finding the grill that you use. Because when I was at that pop-up dinner, those grilled meats were so juicy and flavorful. So I know there's a little process you have in finding the exact grill that you use to cook these meats and vegetables. Yeah, that grill... I'm so happy about that grill. And it's just sort of one of those like darling internet moments that like make you not feel so sort of scared for the abyss that is the internet. I watched this man's show on YouTube. Uh, I learned a lot of recipes from him. It's called Cooking with Yusuf. And he's a total like home cook, just making his food. He's Persian. and he makes great, great recipes. And the one of the kebabs I do is called kebab torsh, T-O-R-S-H. And it, stand, it means sour kebab. And um, I was watching his video and then everything made sense to me. And then I saw the grill and I was like, that's not how my grill works. Like the, the heat was so close to the kebab, you know, getting, getting you know, if you have like a, a Weber grill or something like that, mm-hmm. or if you have like a propane grill or whatever, like the heat is still far a good seven, eight inches away or something like that. And he, he, I was watching his and like the kebab is like two inches away from the direct heat. Like it's really, really hot. And so I wrote him an email just saying like, what, what was that grill you're using? Like I run a small sort of like ghost kitchen operation. And I, I want to do kebabs this summer for the summer menu and not really thinking he would write me back. And he didn't for like maybe a week and a half or whatever. And then I got an email at one o'clock in the morning, one night, just saying they're called Mangal grills and uh, they're made in France. And he sent me a link and I got one and I bought it and it was like, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then I got it and it's about eight inches by about, you know, 18 inches or something. It's really, really small. Okay. And I, and I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? But then I started cooking on it. And, and if you can just, it again, because the heat is so close to the kebabs, mm-hmm. it, it just blows through them. We cooked for 150 people on that tiny little grill. No problem. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. So that's my um, little piece of metal. <laughs> hey, sometimes, you know, it's it's small but mighty. Exactly. Sometimes it doesn't, you don't need a big piece of machinery to do what you need to do. Exactly. Um, talk to me about your dream dinner guest before we get to the music, because this person happens to be a musician. Yes, I have a dream dinner guest. He's still alive. I'm putting it out there. Like, I will do whatever. My favorite guitar player, his name is Carlos Alomar. He was David Bowie's longtime music director and played on his records all the way from Young Americans all the way 
through the 90s, basically, like 1974 until like 2000 or so, on and off a little bit, but mostly there. And all those classic records, he's the rhythm guitar player. I just think he's the most brilliant rhythm guitar player I've ever heard. And I would give anything to pick his brain. I don't even need Bowie stories or anything. I just want to talk to him about his guitar playing. I think he's brilliant. And it would be, and I, I read a book where he talked about when Bowie was in the throes of his like cocaine addiction that he and his wife, like he was in New York at like some crazy like Grammys party or whatever, like just doing the whole New York scene, Bowie. And Alomar noticed that he was just looking not very healthy. And so he and his wife cooked a big meal and like brought Bowie over to their house to like feed him a real meal. And so after I read that, I was like, oh, I, I would give anything to cook for him. Wow. Do you know what you would cook for him? I would cook him a chicken. I would cook him the Musakan chicken from our menu. Mm, I had that. That was delicious. I would do a full spatchcock chicken with good caramelized onions and a pretty tadig to go to sit the chicken on top of. And we'd have paklava and domas and jingalopats. That'd be my dream meal to give to somebody. That sounds fantastic. Now, speaking of music, let's talk about Due North, your new album, your debut album, and it's on Mayor Wittes Records. So talk about the inspiration. You just talked about boy. I said that I thought I heard a little boy influence when I heard the album. The album is fabulous, by the way. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm really happy. I'm really happy with the album. It's been a long time in the making. I probably started working on it about like four years ago. And it basically was just a process of like finding, you know, I've been writing songs since I was 15 years old, but I've always been in bands. I've never been like a solo artist. And I was writing songs and it was the first time I was like having to write for myself. And that proved to be really difficult. And I started out I, sort of down the wrong path, writing all these sort of like songs that I couldn't really relate to because I felt like that's what I was supposed to be writing about. Mm -hmm. And I listened to this Al Green record called The Bell Album, and I was just so taken with like the joy of that record. Like there's so many joyful moments on that record, but he's talking about like really intense things. He's talking about like having difficulty in his relationship because he's wanting to devote himself more to God or something like that. And, you know, I wanted to talk about different things, but I wanted to talk about like things that are really important to me, but still like be joyful and have fun with the music. So I mm -hmm. sort of like, scrapped my early tunes and started over and like my producer with me, uh, James Elkington sort of helped me like pick this palette. And like, it was like, we're going to do synths, we're going to do pedal steel and nothing, you know, no other extra things. It's going to be a super synthy pedal steely record, no strings, no horns. And, and then we just sort of went off to the races and slowly accumulated the songs. And now I feel like I know exactly how to write for myself, which is, that was the goal, I guess. It's been fun. How would you best describe your sound? Uh, sleepy eyed soul. I like that. Yeah. I got sleepy eyes. Yeah, it's it's not R&B. I wouldn't say it's R&B. I wouldn't say it's rock either, but I like to call it Sleepy Eyed Soul. I know you've worked with some famous people. You said this is your first album, you being in the forefront. 
Talk about some of the people that you've worked with in the past. Yeah, well, I, I've spent a long time touring around with uh, this guy, Jeff Tweedy. And um, he's just somebody I've always looked up to. But he's when I started touring with him, I was just sort of really inspired by how much he really enjoys it and like accepts the sort of like the lifestyle of it. You know, a lot of people who spend a long time like touring or like in that business, in the music business, maybe in the food business as well, just sort of get like burnt out and then they have to go on the road because that's how they sort of like make a living. And he just totally doesn't look look at it that way. I mean, he just looks at it as this is what I do, you know, and this is a perfectly respectable thing and lovely and harmless thing to do with your life is to go out and play some music and it it doesn't have to be sort of a means to an end and that i i try to like take from him and lean into and i'm hoping i can so when i started making the record it was like well let's make a record that you want to go out and live your life playing these songs over and over and over again and so that's that was that also kind of influenced the writing you know but then of course this album came out during a time when shows are kind of happening but right I have faith that in 10 years, I'll still enjoy playing these songs. It feels timeless. I can just, I can definitely tell you that it does not feel like it was a moment in time that, oh yeah, that definitely came out in 2015 or 2005 or 1995. It feels timeless. I can, I can definitely tell you that. Oh, and I used to be a music critic in my last life. So oh, yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, for the Chicago Tribune. So have you ever cooked for Tweety or any of these people have any of the, well, not cooked for them or have any of these people tasted your, any of your food? Wilco, the band Jeff is in his like main band. Wilco was working on an album and I catered their lunch recently. That was pretty fun. Oh, did you serve them your food, your cuisine, or did you just like hook something up like your Cuban food or what did you, what did you do? No, I did Isfahan. I did full-on Isfahan nice. meal. I did a tarig. I did some musikan chicken. I did uh, some chorovats, the lamb kebabs that we do. And you know, I I, I did it all. I, I I I love cooking for musicians. I gave them jingle of hot domas, all of it. I gave them what I'd give Carlos Alomar if I could. I always like giving people a nice big feast. See, I love this because you take this really serious and I'm not trying to take anything from, of course, Patti LaBelle, who is just like this big celebrity chef now and everything. And then you've got like, a, you know, like a whole bunch of celebrities that have cookbooks and that type of thing. But I feel like they're doing it because it's just like one more thing. The fact that you really, like you said, leaned into your heritage. I'm just super impressed by that. And you're not just leaning into your heritage, but you're introducing people to cuisines and stories that we're not familiar with. And so I really appreciate that. And I'm sure they are too. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I don't know. I like going all in, I guess. More fun. <laughs> okay. So um, one more thing, has your family tried your food? And I want to know uh, what they thought. Yeah. Well, my, I started doing this during COVID. So we haven't had like the big family get, like my whole Armenian side of the family hasn't mm-hmm. had the big get together yet that'll probably be sort of at the end of the year or something like that and in the 2020 2021 2021 yeah that'll probably when we like all get together and i can get do a big old isfahan meal for them but we have 
Uh, my grandmother is still around, Armine. What a blessing. Your grandmother's still around. She's still around. She's 92, okay. I believe. Okay. One. And she can't um she can't eat so well. And there's one dessert. She's a total sweet tooth. She wants dessert after every meal. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, she wants dessert. And there's one dessert that's on the menu that's like the it's a very Armenian dessert. It's called uh Farini. Except I mean, maybe it's Armenian. That's what Armenians say. Uh, that's the other thing I found out about the food is everyone claims it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the cucumber salad, Armenians are like, yes, that's Armenian. <laughs> hey, maybe. You never yeah. know. Look but it up. I went to this Persian restaurant, uh, and the person was from, not Tehran. Uh, it was like a southern a southern city in, in Iran that I'm forgetting the name of. But um, they were like, yes, this is our cucumber salad. We invented this. We invented this. And it's like the same one. My mom's always made it. Anyway, I so I'm tentatively claiming Farini is an Armenian dessert. Um, okay. I read one book called Taste of Persia, and they called it an Armenian dessert. But it's a pudding. Uh, it's a it's a rose water pudding, and I add fig preserves at the bottom and pistachios on top. And I was able to give that to my grandmother, and she was able to eat that because she, you know, eating like baklava or think other desserts like that are kind of hard for her right now mm-hmm. um so and she ate i think like three farinis she had like she ate them like crazy so that was really amazing to give that to her nice yeah anytime you can make a grandmother your grandmother yeah. happy with your food you know you you have succeeded that's <laughs> better than three missions michelin stars i know she banned me from making pecan pie because she likes my pecan pie, but she can't eat it. And so I would make pecan pie at like Thanksgiving or something like that. And she's, mm-hmm. if I can't have it, I don't want anybody else. No one else can no, have I'm it. Allowed to break the pecan pie at Thanksgiving. I love your grandmother. She sounds <laughs> awesome. Well, Liam, it has been a pleasure chatting with you about your album, Do North. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, Continue success with your pop-up dinners as well. One more thing, where can people find out more information about everything? Well, for Isfahan, you can always find us at eatisfahan.com. That'll keep you up to date with what we got going on. And for my stuff, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, at uh, Liam Kazar, K-A-Z-A-R. I got all the links there, and I've got, I'm always telling people what's going on on my Instagram. So, yeah. Well, that does it for this episode. I want to thank my guest, Liam Kazar, again for joining me. We're back next Friday with another outstanding, talented, and of course, stylish culinary personality you don't want to miss. Thank you so much for listening to Feast and Fashion on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. I'm your host, Adasha Townsend. Meet me back here next Friday. <laughs>